My name is Dwight, one of the pastors here, so glad that you are here. And uh, we are in the book of Lamentations. Uh, you know, usually we start off the year with some sort of, um, I don't know, an, an easier series, one that is like a bit more uh, cheerful. And we actually decided that as we started off this new um, school calendar year that we would delve into Lamentations because so many of the conversations we've had around what we're all going through, coming out of, hopefully maybe one day, uh, has, has brought lots of grief and mourning and frustration. And as the church, we don't necessarily know what to do th- with that because somehow we think maybe we're just supposed to be like re- clapping and perma-smiles and always excited, but life sometimes isn't so exciting. And so we thought that going through lamentations and working through the different emotions and feelings that we have would actually be appropriate because we want to validate some of those for you, but also turn your face toward what true hope really is. And so that's what we're in today. We're in the the hope piece. Last week was very heavy with lament. This week's going to start out a bit heavier, but going to get right into hope. Uh, So hope, if you had to define what hope is, what would you say? Just yell it out. Okay, not all at once, all right? Just take your turn. But what would you say hope is? Yell it out. Okay, positive expectation. That Yeah, we're getting into like a biblical realm, right? Because there's, there's what we believe the Bible says about hope and then what we say hope every day. So Harrison, beat your dad on this one. What was hope? Thinking things will get better. That's right. So those actually kind of form the two different ideas of hope. That there's biblically, we believe in the Bible, and biblically when we talk about hope, we talk about confident expectation that we have. But culturally, it's more like wishful thinking. I I hope that everything gets better. I hope it all works out. And we reassure one another with that. We're like, hey, at least you didn't die. It's like, yeah, but like, that was really bad. They're like, yeah, but at least you're able to breathe. It's like, I know, but that was really bad. Right? So hope in our world is wishful thinking. Hope biblically is a confident expectation. Now, hopelessness. What would you say hopelessness is? Giving up. Yeah. Someone uh, nailed it in the first service in NDG. They said the absence of hope. I'm like, way to go. Like, you did it. Um, But the idea of hopelessness is that there's no way out. It's like a a cul-de-sac of frustration, and there's no exit out. It feels like Montreal traffic at times, right? It feels like driving through Montreal is absolutely hopeless that you're going to make it to where you want to be. But hopelessness really is a feeling, isn't it? Hopelessness is a feeling in response to a perceived reality. Now, that statement is really loaded, that hopelessness is a feeling in response to a perceived reality. Because sometimes when something happens in life, we only see it that way. And then you meet someone else, and they see it from a completely different angle. And they're like, yeah, but you're not seeing all sides to this. And you're like, well, of course I'm not, because this is what's coming at me. So we perceive that things are one way, but they might actually not only be that way. But when have you felt hopeless? Uh, let me make this less personal, okay? We, we're, this is like first dates for some of us, right? When, when have you felt hopeless, or, or when have people around you felt hopeless? Shout it out. Cancer. Yeah. So illness, terminal illness, hopeless. What else? 
pandemic, yeah, we felt hopeless, and I think our family did six quarantines, like, hopeless. What else? Oh, you guys have really good lives. Amazing. Let me give you some illustrations. Uh, relationships. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with siblings. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. They feel, it just feels hopeless. Like this is not going to get better. Maybe it's your vocation. You've made a plan that you're going to do this thing and it's just not working out. Hopeless. Maybe it's money. You made a plan to get out of debt and it's just not working because the needs keep piling up. Hopeless. Maybe war has happened in your country and you've relocated and you just felt like hope, uh, all of life is hopeless. And this is what leads us into Lamentations 3. So I just need to warn you, the first half of this morning is going to kind of feel like last week, but the second half shouldn't, right? It really shouldn't. So let's go to Lamentations 3. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can actually, I give you permission to look in the beginning. There's a table of contents there that will tell you where Lamentations is. But if you kind of flip to the middle of your Bible, uh, you'll be able to find it. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one. You can grab one now. I think we have some in the back. Yeah, I'm getting the nod. Yes. Um, or you can download an app, whatever. But we're going to be in Lamentations 3 for this morning. And here's what was going on in Lamentations. Uh, Jerusalem, the city, had just been taken over by Babylon. So imagine today there was an announcement, right? They put aside the COVID numbers because they said we have a bigger problem. All the, bridge, all the bridges around Montreal have been knocked out. Someone came and knocked them all out intentionally. And there are armies that are sitting on the South Shore right now making little rafts, like war rafts, and they're coming toward the city. So don't worry, you're not going to die today, but eventually you will. Or you can relocate into their land and live according to their policies and the way that they want to do life. But life is not going to look the same for you ever again. That's what's happening in Lamentations. They lost everything, and it's just happened. So in 586, Babylon came in and took over Jerusalem and yanked everyone out of the city except a few. But here's the thing. God actually told them that this was going to happen. God told his people that this was going to take place. Why? Well, it's very complicated, but to make it simple, I'll just say they kept rejecting him. They were meant to be God's people in God's place at that time, the place of Jerusalem, living under his rule and reign, showing and demonstrating to the world what it looks like to be followers of God. But yet, here's the thing. They looked at the world and they said, we want to be just like them. We want to be just like everyone else. We want to craft our own gods. And those could be internal or those could be external. But no longer do we want to worship God, who we believe to be the true and living God. We want to worship all kinds of other things. We want to be just like the rest of the world. While still getting like tax exemption status on our temple gifts. We want to keep that part. So do you know what God did? God actually gave them what they wanted. You want to be just like the rest of the world? Fine. Go and live in it. I'm going to actually give you over to the rest of the world. I'm going to give you over to the other gods that you've been wanting to worship and follow for a really long time. And the people of God at this moment were banished from the presence 
of God in Jerusalem. And they entered into this hopelessness. This hopelessness. The Bible shows God to be a shepherd. So Psalm 23, you've probably heard it uh, before, especially if you've gone to a funeral. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then it gets into like lying down and walking through valleys of the shadow of death that I don't want to go to. Uh, but besides still waters and all these things, right? The Lord is a shepherd and he's seen as a very positive figure. But the, the language that's used all throughout Lamentations chapter 3 is shepherd language. It's just not the type of shepherd you would want to be around. It's the opposite of Psalm 23. It's actually not good news for them that this shepherd is here. And so this is going to be a little bit confusing. But I want to describe it this way. That just because he's saying the author of Lamentations we think is Jeremiah... Just because he's saying that he feels these things doesn't mean that they're true. And this is a huge thing for us to understand, that our perceptions and our feelings aren't always the best compass for our lives. But yet he says them nonetheless. So I want to read four small passages in Lamentations 3, stop, make some commentary, and then we'll make a hard right turn, all right? So Lamentations 3, 1 to 6. He writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without any light. So he's speaking like a sheep. I'm like a sheep, right? This is my shepherd, and this is what kind of shepherd he is. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. That's encouraging, isn't it? So in verse 1, it says, uh, under the rod of his wrath. So a shepherd would have had multiple things with him or her, but they would have had a staff, and that's that like cute little thing that looks like a candy cane that like, oh, Baba's running away. Like, we'll just grab Baba and bring him back. But then he has a rod, and the rod would have been a stick that was about a meter long, and on the end, they would have put some, like, weird metal nail contraption so that if something came along to destroy those sheep, the shepherd came out raging and was going to destroy that thing with this baton. Now, what Jeremiah is saying is, I am seeing the Lord, or I am feeling the Lord's rod against me. This rod that was supposed to protect the sheep, now I feel like is inflicting pain on me. It's perceived Keep hearing that word. It's perceived by him as a painful weapon. And it feels like the shepherd is actually against the sheep. Feels like the shepherd is against the sheep. Listen to this language. That you're leading us to darkness. You're leading us to destruction and danger. And you're leading us into the valley of the shadow of death so that you can kill us. This is what Jeremiah is saying. It feels like to be a follower of God in this moment. He's feeling the power of God used against him, not for him and for the people. You don't have to respond to this, but have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God has you in the scope and he is like honing in on your life and you think maybe somehow he's sadistically enjoying destroying your life? You ever felt that way about him? 
Jeremiah has. This is in the Bible, right? We believe this is God's word given to us. And yet this is how the people of God are feeling. Then we moved to, to verse 7. And one of the things with sheep is that you have a little, um, a little wall, right? This little room out in the middle of nowhere. And there's a little door. And you bring the sheep into through that little door, and then the shepherd would stand and, and be the door. Jesus, later on in the Bible, says, I am the door, right? Protecting the sheep and keeping people out from destroying them. Um, but you have this wall, you bring them in for safety, but listen to what Jeremiah says about this wall. He has walled me about so that I can't escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways. With blocks of stone, he has made my paths crooked. Jeremiah is saying, it feels like you brought me into this, into this room to suffocate me and to harm me rather than to protect me. Uh, our dog just had an operation this week, special operation they get, uh, so that he has no lineage. We can mourn that later on. Um, but we, he has this like satellite on, his, on him right now, right? And he's already managed to destroy that, and partly... But we, had, we couldn't figure out what to do with him. We tried to put him in the kennel, and at night, so he's like boxer, labrador, pit bull mix. Super nice dog, but ferociously energetic. And so we put him in the kennel, and all of a sudden, Jess and I are sleeping, and it sounds like someone's trying to break into the kennel or out of the kennel or flip it over, and part of his like satellite got caught in the corner, and he's just like thrashing around in there. So this morning, while we we're all here, we put him in the laundry room and we piled about 300 pounds of blocks in front of him so that he can't get out for his good, for his safety. But imagine if when I get home, I, I pull a heroic jump over the blocks and just start wailing on him, right? Just start pummeling him, putting him in there so that I can abuse him. To be clear, I'm not going to do that, all right? Just SBCA, I'm not, I'm not doing that. All right? But imagine I did. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. It feels like you're doing to us. You walled us in saying you protect us, and you're just harming us. And then he keeps going. Verse 10 to 13, he is, like a, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion and hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. How many of you reading those are like, man, I can't wait to follow God. A bear, lion is going to tear me to pieces. A hunter is going to shoot things into my kidneys. Like, sign me up. Like, I, I'm all about, I'll go tell everyone in Montreal about that. This is painful. Really painful. Have you ever read the story, Most Dangerous Game? Never? Anyone? Anyone read that? It's a really bizarre story they have you read in school. And you finish reading, and you're like, I'm, I'm not quite certain what we're going for. It's kind of like Hunger Games on steroids, right? But in essence, it's this, these two hunters that end up meeting on this island. One is a general. He's been there for a long time. And another is a guy who gets shipwrecked and ends up going there. And they meet one another. And the general is saying, oh, I'm so glad you're here because there's a new species that I've taken up hunting. And he's like, oh, great. I can't wait to hunt with you. And it comes to find out that the general actually wants to hunt him. And so they're on this island, and the story's wild. You should read it. It's pretty short. But that's what Jeremiah's feeling. 
is that he somehow got on this island, and now God is the general, and he's hunting him to harm him. Do you ever feel like God is out to get you? And then we keep going. Verse 14. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And this is heartbreaking in verse 18. So I say, my endurance has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. These are the words that pop up. I'm in despair. I asked a number of you this morning as I was going to the washroom, hey, how you doing? Good. If one of you said, I am in despair, I probably would have made my bladder submit to your despairing. But you rarely meet someone that says, I am in despair. I am mocked. Have you ever been mocked before? Like really mocked. Painful. Deep, deeply painful. I am bitter. I'm bitter. Every, everything I taste is, is tainted with this bitterness. I'm in mourning. It's like people keep dying all around me. And then I have no peace or happiness. This is what hopelessness really looks like. And when we're in that place of hopelessness, it can easily become the obsession, the meditation of our heart that we keep reflecting on all the time. Listen to verse 19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Have you ever met someone that was in such deep despair? You remind them of good things all, and they're like, ah, oh, but I don't care about that. It's like they cannot get awoken to anything that's good. For Jeremiah, he is there. This is the perception, what I just read, of what it was like to be a follower of God at that moment. We like to sing like loud and excited songs that we raise our hands to and clap along with. But imagine that someone made us, this is kind of a song. Lamentation 3 is a poem. It's a song to be rehearsed often. This is what they experienced and what they felt. Now, I want to reiterate. It's really, really important that we don't base our understanding of who God is on our feelings and our circumstances. I'm so thankful that the Bible isn't written, the Bible's written by about 40 different authors, okay? I'm so glad that every book doesn't start with, well, I think God is like this. I'm so glad that my journals of frustration aren't defining who God really is. Yeah, amen. And you would be glad that my journals of frustration are not defining who God is, right? That He is not a subjective God. That we get to say, well, I think and I feel God is like a butterfly. It's like, well, that's just not true, <laughs> right? In how he has revealed himself to be. It's really important that we hear from him about who he is. And so God doesn't diminish our feelings, our hopelessness, our resentment. He doesn't diminish our feelings but he doesn't want for our feelings and circumstances to be the anchor or the building blocks, the foundation by how we understand who he truly is. So what is our anchor? I read a little bit of ballet on ballet. You don't read ballet. You watch ballet. I get it. Or you dance ballet or you ballet ballet. I don't know. 
I, I'm, I'm working out of my comfort zone right now, okay? But one of the things that I'm fascinated, Jess and I have gone to a few, okay, again, ballet performances. Is that right? Sure. Good. I've, we've gone to some of those ballet performances, and, uh, and I've been amazed, one, at their flexibility, because I can't even touch my toes, barely, uh, but secondly, how they spin. They just keep spinning, and I'm like, surely one of them's going to fall over. It's like my sick little thing. I'm watching, like, who's going to fall? Like, who's going to do it this time? Uh, and they don't. And so I was looking up, how do they do that? And they do this thing called spotting. And again, limited understanding. But it's the idea that as your body is spinning, you're focused on one point, and you keep whipping your head back to that point so that you trick your body into thinking you're not actually spinning. It's pretty powerful. What is our spot? As we're whipping around in our hopelessness, as we're being pushed around into our feelings and circumstances and subjectivity, that, that we feel like God is a bear against us. What's our spot? Well, that's where we get into it in verse 21. In the midst of hopeless meditation, day after day after day, verse 21 arrives like a rescue boat to a shipwreck. Right? Imagine that you're like barely hanging on in the sea, you've been shipwrecked, and you see the rescue boat light comes. All of a sudden, you have all this energy to keep yourself afloat because hope is here. Like hope has arrived, and this is what verse 21 is. In the midst of all this, here it is, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what he's going to do is he's going to turn away from the circumstances and the spinning, and he's going to spot He's going to find the spot of who God is. He's going to remind himself that God is my, my everything, that outside of him everything is hopeless. And though nothing has changed in regards to his circumstances, everything has changed in terms of his inner being, that he has found hope again. And this is a real fight. Rarely do we just all of a sudden like wake up in the morning in the midst of a period of hopelessness and be like, oh, I feel hopeful today, right? I feel this confident expectation. It's something that we have to fight for, that we have to fight with other people for because sometimes we don't see it and we need other people to come alongside us and help us to see it. But the reality is, is that hope is here. And this is what Jeremiah sees. Listen to the hope that he has. Listen to not just the wishful thinking, but the confident expectation. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope. Therefore, I will have my confident expectation in Him. Now, let me just look at these three things real quick. Steadfast love. The Jesus Storybook Bible is a Bible that we, we read to our kids when they were younger. And it says that steadfast love is never giving up, never stopping, always and forever kind of love. That's steadfast love. It means that you can't you can't do something so bad that God's love doesn't run after you. It's, it's always trailing you. It's always tracking you. It's always following you. It's always wooing you. That his steadfast love is for those who can't earn love on their own. Right? He comes after those of us who are broken, who are messed up, who are struggling. Your circumstances do not shut off the steadfast love of God. 
There is no notice you get from him being like, I've tried really hard with you for a long time. I know that I did a lot of stuff for you, but you're just not seeing it. I'm going to need to turn the water off now forever. Even in the midst of this, Jeremiah is saying, ah, your steadfast love is there. I'm tasting it again. And it's really good. His steadfast love can't be dammed up either. If we were all to go to Niagara Falls, I don't know, there's 70, 80 of us maybe. Let's say we all get in a car, big car, really big car, and we go to Niagara Falls. And we get there, and I'm like, okay, I'm so glad we're here. Um, we're going to dam up Niagara Falls today. We're going to collectively stop that thing from moving. We're all going to die, really. Like, that's what's going to happen to us. Because you can't do it. It's so powerful. And this is the steadfast love of God. That in the midst of your, your hopelessness that you feel like there's no way out, he still says to you, hey, I love you. I love you. I, I'm for you. You're mine. You, you can't undo this. I didn't make a, an adoption contract with you with any hidden print below that says, but if you disobey in these ways, this is null and void. He says, I adopted you completely. Like you're all in. You're all in. And we have to rehearse stories in moments of hopelessness. Um, I do days of silence and solitude once in a while, and, and I write down the ways that I've seen God's love and mercy toward me for moments when I don't feel it. And when I don't feel it, I go back and I read, oh yes, you have been loving toward me, you have shown me mercy, I don't get what I deserve ever, I continuously get what I don't deserve in Him. We need that. So whether it's a journal, whether it's a tattoo, whether it's writing things in the mirror, whether it's, you, you need to get it in front of you somehow, because there are moments that you're not going to feel like it's true, and you need to be brought back to the reality that it actually is. We go uh, to a lake every summer, we go several times, but we go for an entire week, and, uh, and my nephew, I uh, love this kid, but my nephew, uh, you put on a life preserver, and I'm just kind of like, I'm not the greatest uncle in the world. So I just kind of like kick him in. He has a fear of water, all right? So fear of water. And I just kind of like kick him in, but I hold on to him the whole time, right? I've got him, and he's a life jacket on, and he's losing his mind, absolutely losing his mind. Don't let me go, Uncle Dwight. Don't let me go, Uncle Dwight. Don't let me go, Uncle Dwight. I'm like, I've got you. I've got you. That even when God has us, there are moments that we fear like that. And we feel like, you don't love me anymore. You're just throwing me in the water when God completely has you. We need to rehearse stories. We also need to look at stories in Scripture. Do you remember Peter? Whether you've been a part of the church for a long time or not, you probably know who Peter was. And Peter famously denied Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and we believe that he showed up. He wanted to see Peter. He said, hey, make sure that my disciples uh, show up in Galilee and make sure Peter's there, right? And you're like, ooh, Peter, you know, denying Peter. What's Jesus going to do with him? And then Jesus ends up baking him fish and chips, right? Minus the chips probably, but makes him fish uh, and lays out breakfast. Peter comes in and Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, Peter? He, Peter denied him three times. Jesus says, do you love me three times? Because what Jesus is doing is showing him that even your denial, even your denial of me can't outlast and outstretch my steadfast love. And he reaffirms. 
and I get this many hours of sleep, and I exercise this much, and I don't do this or this or this. And it's like, that's really good, but you're still not really committed to your well-being the same way that God is. Like, he's committed to your holistic well-being in a way that organic is never going to touch. God is more faithful to your well-being than you will ever be. And how do we know? How do we know that? Well, he showed it to us. He showed us how committed he was. Jesus went through Lamentations 3, 1 to 18. Listen to this. The rod of the wrath of God struck Jesus as he was on the cross. So that you and I never have to taste what the wrath of God tastes like. Jesus experienced great darkness. Jesus was mocked and flogged. Jesus was offered bitter wine. Jesus was destroyed. Jesus went through no peace. As he's hanging on the cross, he cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went through hopelessness so that you and I never have to go through an eternal hopelessness. Your future is hope, a confident expectation that you are known by Jesus, loved by Jesus, and will be with Jesus. And that's good news. That's really good news. In your heart, in your heart, it should be like bubbling up a little bit. Being like, I'm so thankful this is true. I'm so thankful that, that I don't get wrath. I get mercy and grace and steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. And Jesus died and, and rose again. He came bursting out of death. And now he's alive. And the hope that you and I have is, is risen hope now and forever. And so let me just equip us as we as we wrap up, how do we go through moments of hopelessness? Because the reality is you will go through hopelessness. You will feel at times like God is not good. You'll feel that. Some of us will be afraid to say it, but the Bible says it, that people have felt this way. So what do we do when, when our lives are in that, that Niagara Falls, like if you go under the thing that kills people isn't the fall, it's that it's like a washing machine under there. It just keeps you under all the time. How do we come out of that hopelessness? Three things. One is that we call the resurrection to mind. We call the resurrection to mind in the midst of hopelessness. That death doesn't ultimately win. That even if my hopeless moment leads to death, death doesn't ultimately win. Jesus rose and so if we're followers of Jesus, then we too will rise and be with him. And even in the midst of our darkest circumstances, his hope is, is constant. It's not moving. It's like the buoy that's anchored, that isn't going anywhere. That You can hold on to that. The second thing that we call to mind is that we can wait on him. So first thing, resurrection is coming. This isn't going to last forever. Second thing is that we call to mind that we can wait on him. Let me read what verse 25 says. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. When we feel like he's not good, we return back to the objective reality that you are good, even though I don't feel it. You are good, though I don't feel that. You remember Narnia? Have you seen a red Narnia? And Susan... Uh, hears about Aslan, and she hears that he's a lion. She's like, a lion? Like, lions are scary. And she says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, well, of course she ain't. he ain't safe. 
Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But then he ends by saying, but he's good. Of course God, God's not safe. But he's good. He's good. He's good to those who wait for him. And then in verse 26, it says, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it's like, wait a second. Wait a second. You've just been like ranting and raving and screaming about God is like a bear out to get me. He's eating my inner things. He's shooting arrows into me. How can you move from that to that? And I would say that there's a time to yell and scream and kick. And then there's a time to say, okay, I'm done. I'm going to wait for you. I'm banking everything on you. I see you for who you are now, God. And I'm putting on these, these headphones of hope. I'm going on my first uh, flight since COVID started uh, tomorrow. And I, I have noise-canceling headphones. And they're the most amazing things in the world because anything can be going on in the plane, right? And I'm just like in my own little world, right? Baby in front of me losing its mind. I'm like giving thumbs up to the mom, like doing a great job, killing it, doing awesome. I listen to Mumford or something. Um, but the headphones of hope are what we're to put on. I think this is the one part of the armor of God that's missing maybe, right? Headphones of hope. They, because they cancel out the fear inside of circumstances. We're walking through circumstances and our constant beat is Kanye West, Jesus walks with me, right? Constantly, that, that he walks with me, that he's with me, that he's not bailing out on me. Um, you maybe you know the story of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So he was the guy that was responsible for the siege of Jerusalem, and he was in charge of Babylon. And um, he built this, this statue, huge statue. I think it was 90 feet tall, right, huge. Um, and he, he called together all the rulers to come and worship. And he called these three Jewish guys as well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to come and worship this image. And if someone didn't bow down and worship this, they were thrown into a fire, well, that didn't really matter to them. They were the only ones in the crowd who didn't bow down. And, uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar comes to them and says, okay, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they said this line, our God can deliver us, right? We, we have the true living God. We're not going to bow down to your false God. Our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we'll never bow down to your statue. We'll never bow down to your statue. They had these headphones of hope in the midst of the circumstances, I hear a lot of strange talk, and this isn't political, but I hear a lot of strange talk, especially from Christians, like fear and worry about everything that's going on in the world and like government and mark of the beast and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, headphones of hope, baby. Like headphones of hope. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what governments are doing. I don't know what's, but I know where my hope is. I know who my hope is, and we can just march through any circumstances regardless, because even if he doesn't deliver us from death in this world, he's alive. And as we're passing away, he reaches down, and he brings us to be with him. Headphones of hope. What's our only hope in life and death? Yeah, it's a catechism question. I didn't expect one of my kids to answer it. That we're not our own, but we belong to God. That's our hope. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him, and he is for us. And this thing won't last forever, but his compassion will. So three things. We call resurrection to mind in the midst of hopelessness. We call to mind that we can wait on him, headphones of hope. And then finally, in the midst of hopelessness, we return to him. 
Listen to verse 40 and 41. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. You see, the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about that he was bringing to, to earth, hopelessness is not part of that. Hopelessness is not part of his kingdom. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. I listened to an interview with a guy, I won't say his name, um, but he, he deconstructed his faith and has left following Jesus. And I listened to him say yesterday he no longer believes Jesus is the son of God. He doesn't believe that the Bible is, is true and accurate. And he was a, a leading figure in Western Christianity for a number of years. And this is my prayer for him. Brother, test and examine how good God is and return to him. As I listened to him talk, I said, what hope this guy actually has? That he at any moment can turn back to him just like Peter did and was reinstated. So don't think that your hopelessness has gotten you so far away from him that he could never bring you back and use you and love you because he already does. So in the midst of your hopelessness, return to him. Stop ranting about him and rant to him. Let him take your words of grumble and transform them into words of worship. That great is your faithfulness. So I'll end with this. We're all going to experience hopelessness. Okay? It's going to happen. I wish that I could protect you from it. I wish I could protect me from it, but we just can't. It's going to happen. You're going to feel at times like God is against you. But feelings are a really bad compass out of hopelessness. Feelings are a really bad compass out of hopelessness. So we must call to mind these things. And you need a friend. Right? You need a friend who loves Jesus that when you're only seeing life this way, they're going to be able to enter in and say, but have you looked at it this way? And have you called to mind the things that Jeremiah called to mind? Because some of your lives, some of the people within our greater church, their stories, maybe not this bad, but they're really, really bad. Really, really bad. They've seen... Hor horrific things, and they've said that we needed friends to speak in these things that Jeremiah is talking about, to call to mind that his steadfast love is running after us, that your mercy will never end, that you are more faithful than I will ever be to you, that Jesus, you are here with me, that I'm going to wait now with confident expectation, and that I can return to you. There's this profound hope that you'll never be separated from him. No matter what your circumstances tell you, you'll never be separated from him. Uh, so Shayla, I'll invite you to come up, Shayla and Lucas. I'm just going to end by reading Psalm 42. The Lord actually equips us how to pray to him when we enter into circumstances like this. And Psalm 42 is one of them. So just listen. Um, sometimes it helps me to close my eyes as I listen. Uh, because there are so many distractions. But listen in. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, where's your God? But these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I just want you to note something here. It's like, seems like things are getting good. Okay, hope in God. But then he goes right back down again. This is what we do often, isn't it? Oh, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers and your waves have gone over me. Feels like he's being destroyed. But by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? But why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He gives us tools to actually say words to him when we don't know the words to say. Use his words, pray his words back to him. Let me pray for us and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you that you are near. Thank you that we read Lamentations with hope. Thank you that lamenting isn't the end of the story, but as you lamented things in this world, you knew what you were coming to do. You were going to bring rescue and salvation in eternity and give it to us. I want to pray for anyone who's here that doesn't yet know you, that Jesus, you would become very real to them today, that they would hear the words about you dying on a cross for rebellion, and they would be able to hear them as, well, that was for me. That was my rebellion. And that they would hear your words, you were forgiven. Like, come to me and receive forgiveness. And that they would know that you rose from the dead for them as well and are offering them eternal life. I want to pray for those of us who are in moments of hopelessness, that this would speak directly to to us, that we would be able to call to mind your steadfast love and your mercy and, and hope in your faithfulness and that you have not forgotten us and that, that you are working to make all things good for those who love you. I want to pray for those who, who hear a message like this and say, how could anyone be hopeless? Who look at others with, with great pride in their hearts and that you would humble them and give them compassion towards others who are experiencing hopelessness. But Jesus, thank you that we can end this sermon celebrating the fact that you were alive, that you burst out of the tomb, and that this is what Montreal needs to hear. And this is what all nations and tribes and tongues needs to hear, that Jesus is alive, he loves us, and he is pursuing us. Help us to respond well. Amen.